This is the official podcast of the 122nd Fighter Wing. Views and opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of the 122nd Fighter Wing, Air National Guard, or United States government. No endorsement of any person or business is ever intended. Welcome to Black Snake Bites, the official podcast of the 122nd Fighter Wing. Our mission is to inform, motivate, and inspire 122nd Fighter Wing airmen, attract new recruits to the U.S. Air Force, and promote engagement with the broader Fort Wayne, Indiana community. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome, Black Snakes, for another podcast of the Black Snake Bites. This is Senior Master Sergeant Leslie Kaiser here with Chief Hoopengardner. Thanks for having me today. I'm excited to do this with you. Um, And uh, thanks, uh, before I forget and lose the opportunity, thanks to you and Lieutenant Rogers for taking this project on. You guys are doing a great job, and uh, I'm just hoping not to screw it up today. (laughs) Well, I appreciate that, Chief. So just a little disclaimer. uh, I feel like this interview is going to go a little, little longer today. When you can pin down some time for everyone to get to listen to you, being our command chief, without standing in formation, uh, you all ins- you inspired us all about tattoos. I feel like we need to take advantage of that. So, Chief, let's get right down to it. So, Ninth Command Chief of the Base. Wow, did you ever think you would be here? Honestly, no. Um, it uh, the Command Chief position was never um, really on my radar at any point in my career to be, to be perfectly honest. Um, you know, we, uh, the last month's podcast, Woody talked about flight paths and I've had a number of flight paths throughout my career. And I can tell you, I never wrote command chief on my flight path <laughs> at any point. So that's the God's honest truth. So being here sitting in this position today, um, is kind of a shock to me. When do you feel like it became a reality? When when you made chief, like when do you when did it solidify? Like oh, this might be obtainable. Honestly, probably a couple years ago after after I'd been promoted to chief in the FSS and I was the senior enlisted leader of the the force support squadron. Um, current command chief at that time was uh, Mike Dixon, and I spent a lot of time with him uh, because and and he'll tell you this openly. Uh, he was a lifelong maintainer, and so he was. Um, aware of his blind spots at the wing and the things that he didn't know about. And a lot of the stuff that he didn't know, he would come to me and ask for because it had to do with personnel and, and the rule sets on that. And, uh, and I could speak to him on that. So I got to spend a lot of time with him. And, uh, um, I think during that time, um, I, I started to see the possibility of, of being in this position. So, yeah. In prepping for this interview, I think it's fair to say at the base we know the rank of chief, but it's a rank that's much bigger than you. To quote an article I found of Joint Force San Antonio by Mariam A. Thunder, being a chief means you represent your organization, your family, the entire Air Force, and all the chiefs. You are a reflection of a voice for the entire listed force. I mean, no pressure, chief. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Do you ever feel that pressure? Do you, can you relate to that quote at all? Yeah, I can relate to it uh, for sure. And pressure wise, yeah. I mean, there's definitely pressure when, uh, when you find yourself standing with the wing commander in front of a formation and uh, Colonel Wagner looks at you and says, chief, what am I missing? You always got to have something ready to go. You always right. got to have something queued up um, to speak smartly on something to try to inspire airmen. Uh, so yeah, there's there's definitely pressure that comes with the position. But so I didn't realize this. Uh, the word chief actually dates back to 1570, and maybe even sooner. But I found it documented at 1570, and it meant to be a head of a clan, and it started with the American Indian tribes. In 1947, when the Air Force was born, there actually was not a chief rank or E-9 as we know it today. It actually wasn't until December 1st of 1959 after the Korean War, the rank was created. And it was funny, the reason the rank was created is because the enlisted suffered from rank stagnation 
only being able to promote to E7 or a master sergeant. Well, since then, Chiefs had, they've had a golden birthday, December 1st of 2009, and now the rank has evolved to what we know it now and has lasted 64 years. I mean, Chief, you're you're part of that legacy. You hold the Chief rank, not only that, but the, the star, the insignia that identifies you as the Command Chief. What mark have you made in that regard to be that head of the clan or a chief a leader? A couple of thoughts with that. So I think being a chief, um, the, the first thought that comes to mind is uh, if you think about the officers that we have in, in the Air Force, um, the fact of the matter is that you can, you can have two years time in service. If you just joined and you're a young officer as a lieutenant, you can be placed as a leader of an organization, as an officer in charge of a flight. A couple years later, you could be a, a commander of a flight or a squadron. So you can achieve that very early in your career where you're placed in a position of leadership. A chief, on the other hand, and, and I also want to caveat, I'm not knocking officers, okay? Because uh, especially here at the 122nd, we have a lot of great officers. But on the flip side, on the enlisted side, um, to, to wear the chief stripes and to be a chief uh, shows that you, you had to start at the beat. You had to start at the gra- grassroots. Like you, you enlist as an E1, E2, or E3, and you got to work your way up through the ranks. And I think, um, you know, when you look at chiefs, uh, those are folks that have been around for a while and um, have worked their way up through the ranks and, and have the years of experience, which, you know, when you talk about knowledge, uh, you can also talk about wisdom, right? Um, to me, knowledge is book smarts. Right. Wisdom is the combination of book smarts or knowledge and experience and you need years to gain that experience and so that to me is a chief um the other side of that when you when you talk to me about like what is what does it mean to be a chief um it's funny especially being the command chief when i got the position um you know i I remember somebody telling me that uh man you only have one boss now like you work directly for the base (laughs) commander and i laughed hysterically because I think anybody in leadership should take the role of servant leadership, right? Right. If you're going to be a good leader. And what that means for a chief is uh, you don't now just have one boss. You don't just work for the commander. You work for all of the enlisted airmen under you. And so for me now, I don't just have one boss. Colonel Wagner's not my only boss. I work <laughs> for, uh, as of today, 989 airmen at the 122nd Fighter Wing. So... While it is, you know, prestigious and rewarding and all of that, the reality is something a little bit different than what people think. So, That's a, a legacy you're leaving, not only working for your key leadership, but every individual at this base. That's a huge mark. Speaking of legacy, what, what legacy do you want to leave, right? We're not here forever. You can leave knowing you accomplished this when you retire. That's a great question. And I, I tell you what, Leslie, um, so as I've neared the end of my career, I've got about three years left um, and I'll sail off into the sunset and somebody else is going to do my job. But um, yeah, I've thought about legacy and, and, and what does that look like for Kyle Hoopingarner? Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember a chief several years ago telling me, I, I was maybe a senior mass sergeant at the time, and he said, hey, you're going to be a chief someday. Um you need to think about your legacy. And the reality is you can't change everything. So you got to pick one thing that you're going to leave your mark on. What are you passionate about? Um, and so that was one line of thinking in terms of legacy, but um, I, I'm not buying into that, <laughs> to be honest with you. Good for you. Um, I would rather my legacy come organically. And, mm-hmm. and what that means is I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm going to do my best to make the 122nd fighter wing the the best wing that it can be and that our airmen are taken care of. Um, and whatever my legacy looks like when I'm gone, it will be what it will be, but I'm not going to necessarily be intentional about it. It'll, it'll just happen organically. Do you think people will just take away something that mark or impression you've left on them uniquely versus being that intentional 
um, knife hand. This is what I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It'll be more personal. And, and I think uh, I think most of our leaders here at the 122nd would say the same thing. Uh, you know, your legacy may be one thing to one airman, and mm-hmm. it may be very different to another airman. And right. that's okay because you impact people in different ways. So, so Chief, I have to ask, you didn't have – Command Chief on the radar, what what was your goal rank? What did you at least if I if I get here, I'll feel accomplished. So I think if you go back, I, I I'm pretty sure somewhere in a desk drawer I still have <laughs> like an ACA form or something that I filled out as a young, young airman. And and I think you could go back that far and I would have said that I want to be a chief before I retire. That was always cool. a goal. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you why. Um, because o- like early in my career, I had a number of people uh, encourage me to commission and become an officer. And I always said no. Um, like I I always wanted to be I – wa- I aspired to be the crusty old chiefs that I saw back in the day when I was a young <laughs> kid out here. And I know that sounds funny. But um, I, I thought very highly of those folks, and, and that's who I wanted to be. So, yeah, that was, that was a, a goal early on in my career. That's awesome. Um, I think we all have a few chiefs in our pockets. We want to be like – I know my first chief, he was actually drafted. I had no idea until he told me. And uh, he just represented this stoic nature about him that you just – you couldn't help but respect it and then when you find out a little more and a little more it just it evolved and how you felt about someone you could look up to and admire like that yeah who inspired you to get here you put chief down on an ACA form lost somewhere covered in dust but who or how many people inspired you along the way to help you get here yeah so honestly uh it was funny uh a peek behind the curtain here. Leslie gave me the the questions as a read ahead. God bless you for that. <laughs> I did. Uh, and and as I was reviewing the questions, I really gave a lot of thought to that one. And it's hard uh, to be honest to like nail down somebody specifically that inspired me. Um, I think throughout my career, and and most people would probably say this uh, late in their careers that you're impacted by so many people. Mm-hmm. And I can think of early in my career. Um, you know, I started off in POL as a, a drill status guardsman, uh, pumping gas on the flight line. Yeah. Uh, to, to this day was probably my favorite job in the Air Force. Uh, Love that job. But there were people that I worked with back then that inspired me. Um, and then as I've gone throughout my career, uh, you know, chiefs that I got to work for, senior enlisted folks, uh, commanders that I have worked for, um, you know, uh, all had an impact and inspired me in some way, shape, or form. Um, I, I would say, you know, more recently and specific to this job, uh, like I mentioned, Chief Dixon, uh, my predecessor in the job, uh, spent a lot of time with him over the last few years and um, saw how he operated in the role and what the potential was uh, to have impact on the base as a command chief. Um, I think that he, he really took it to another level and inspired me to, to even try to do more. So, yeah. yeah. What's your favorite thing to do as a chief, you know, leaving that, leaving that mark, you working for everyone out here. What's your absolute favorite thing to do when it comes to what inspired you? And then now you get to give back. My honestly, my favorite thing is is getting to recognize people for the great things that they do, because, like I said, we have nine hundred eighty nine airmen assigned right now. And um, there are just countless um, things that our airmen do that are outstanding. And and having the opportunity in my position to recognize some of those folks like that's awesome, because I remember as a young airman what it felt like to get recognition from your leadership. And now that I'm in a leadership position and being able to be on that side of it, um, that that's awfully rewarding for me. I agree. I feel like it's, uh, more for me than them selfishly. Um, I might butcher an award when I'm reading it, (laughs) man, I love reading it. When I think of a chief, I think of a trusted voice, a leader, someone that's relatable, approachable, uh, family centered, Someone that can bring the calm, but that strategic 
critical thinking and wisdom, like we talked about, if you will, a, a million-dollar mindset, just unfortunately without the paycheck, <laughs> would you agree that's the chief mindset we should have? Would you want to add anything to that, how people should view chiefs? No, I think that's I think that's pretty good. Um, it, it, you know, and it's not necessarily just chief; it's it's leaders in yeah. general. And um, you know, I had I had the opportunity the other day to talk to uh, the Homestead High School football team. Uh, they invited me to come and and talk to them about leadership. And I I think I wrote up on their whiteboard like eight uh, key qualities of leaders, and then I spoke to each of those. And and I think that. You know, when you look at leaders in general, there's just certain qualities that you expect and look for, um, qualities like humility and being genuine and, um, you know, being inspirational. Um, gosh, I wish I had that whiteboard in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I think, uh, I think you pretty much nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. I think you help blend that mindset and lifestyle together. It's not just when you're in uniform, but when you're not too, um, as a parent, coach, mentor, neighbor, going to talk to a high school, that's huge. I mean, it doesn't get much cooler than that when you're like, you guys want me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. It's humbling. Yeah. Yeah. So when you meet people around the base or in your community and you meet them where they're at, um, maybe a hallway or something, walking to another meeting, how in your position do you stay engaged with the airmen? I'm, I'm, you're kind of busy. You're (laughs) not, not to throw it out there. I think we rescheduled this a few times, but do you even use that word? Um, do you just try to move the needle, hit a milestone? Like what's your tempo look like to still be able to engage with our airmen? Yeah. Uh, that's an awesome question. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. My schedule is very busy. Uh, it's, a, it's a very demanding job. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to juggle. Um, I try not to think about how busy it is. Um, I've got, uh, I'm blessed with a couple of great administrative assistants that help manage my schedule. As you found out, uh, trying to get on my calendar can be challenging, but I've got some great help there. Yeah, it's busy. Um, but one of the most important things about my job is to be relatable to be available and approachable to airmen. Mm. And the reason that's important is because my role in the command staff and the reason that Colonel Wagner has me with him uh, day in and day out is in leading the wing, there needs to be an enlisted voice in the room on decisions that happen that impact the wing. And so that's my role is to be the voice of the enlisted force and provide that perspective. Um, when Colonel Wagner's trying to make decisions, you know, he ultimately bears the burden of responsibility for everything that happens at the wing. It's an awesome responsibility, right? But he doesn't make decisions in a vacuum and he will, he'll look to me constantly and say, you know, Hoop, what, what, what are you thinking about this? Mm -hmm. And I get to provide input from an enlisted perspective that he doesn't have as a commissioned officer. And so, um, yeah, getting out and trying to spend time one-on-one with airmen or get in, get into a, a shop on a drill weekend and, and just hang out, get to ask some smart questions of some young airmen, like what's good, what's bad, what's going on, you know, what can we do better, stuff like that, um, so that I can have the pulse of the airmen and then be able to represent uh, their voice to the commander. And, you know, with the busy schedule, running from meeting to meeting and event to event, um, when I get stopped by somebody and I get to just like have a one-on-one conversation, the most important thing to me is just to be present in that moment, right? you know, and, and just really lock in and, uh, stiff arm the distractions that are tugging on me and just take, just take that, you know, five minutes to stand there and talk with that, with that, uh, airman and find out what's going on. Yeah. So I think that's the only way you can do it. I agree. How do you, um, how do you get the hard stuff out of them? How do you get the truth out of them? How do you get uh, what's eating their lunch, essentially? What's <laughs> taking up my time, chief, that you can do something about? Yeah, boy, that, that can be challenging, right? Um, but I think I think being transparent with people, uh, myself, mm-hmm. and, and trying to, you know, not hold back information, just, just be honest and transparent as much as I can with people. Um, airmen see that. 
and then hopefully they'll return the favor to me. You know what I mean? Right. And and I I think that's that's what I've experienced so far in the job. Um, I think that there's a, a trust factor, mm-hmm. um, both with officers and with enlisted airmen in my position. And uh, um, yeah, I just want to have that trust where airmen feel like they can open up to me. And you know, that's the only way I'm going to be able to speak uh, right. speak truth to the command staff. So. So you heard it straight out of the chief's mouth. Tell him the hard stuff. He <laughs> will on. listen. So October 9th, 2022, you gave a speech. And in this speech, you inspired the 122nd about tattoos. <laughs> and with that, being relatable and relevant in that speech, trying to connect with us, where did that that inspiration come from? And how did you think it would inspire us? Oh, that's funny. So... <laughs> Yeah, uh, for those of you, for those that don't know, yeah, when I when I had the ceremony uh, to be recognized as the new command chief, uh, had the opportunity to address the entire wing in formation, and you know, gosh, how how many people have the opportunity to stand up in front of seven hundred plus airmen at once and, right. and give a speech? So it was nerve wracking, and I remember talking to a, a buddy of mine and and talking about you know writing a script and sticking mm-hmm. to the script, and he he told me he's like, hey man, speak from the heart. Like, tell us what's, you know, tell us what's eating at you and like what matters to you right now. And so I I took that advice and ran with it. And it just led me down this weird path to talk about tattoos. And I know Colonel Wagner was probably freaking out off to the side, like not knowing where I was going with that. But, you know, the, the gist of that was just, um, that, you know, there's tons and tons of people that have military tattoos and, uh, at the, you know, the, ultimate reason for that is that we all know that what we do is is incredibly special and it's unique um, that we serve and so we want to acknowledge that so um, but in terms of like that communication and like why I chose to do that um, had the opportunity you know to stand up there and uh, I really wanted to I guess inspire and pull on the heartstrings of, of folks that maybe sometimes lose sight of why they serve And, you know, maybe they're coming up on their enlistment, their end of their enlistment, not sure whether I want to reenlist. And, you know, just just to give a direct reminder of of how special it is what we do. So um, it it was funny. I was actually just listening to a podcast the other day uh, and it was talking about the the history of rhetoric and going back to the Greek times of Plato and Aristotle and, and all of that. And the whole key to rhetoric or talking is uh, to not focus on what you want to hear, but what your audience wants to hear and right. how, how they want to hear it. Yeah. Right. So anytime that I try, anytime that I, I get up and I give a, a speech on something, I try to take that approach, uh, have something funny in there and yeah. something that's relatable. You know, people respond to that. So. So your boss didn't know you were going to talk about tattoos. Like he didn't know your speech going into it. He had Did no give- idea. <laughs> At Did all. you give him a hint? Nope. In, nothing. Not at all. No. Total Good surprise. Good <laughs> I like it. So knowing what you know now, being relatable, going back to rhetoric, how do you want to pass on your knowledge? So I, I get the opportunity uh, to, to talk in group settings. That's uh, an easy way to, I guess, share knowledge uh, to the masses and, you know, through uh, – platforms like a podcast or a drill video, something like that. (laughs) Um, But what I have found to be the the most effective uh, is one-on-one conversations with people. You know, when I, when I have the opportunity to sit down with somebody and hear what's going on with them and maybe be able to be sympathetic with what they're dealing with and then be able to share some of my experiences from the past with them uh, and how maybe I got through a similar circumstance or, managed a certain situation um yeah I, just a one-on-one level and and trying to share what i've learned with yeah. folks in, in that way yeah i think that's all we want for um if it was my family member in right that's what i would want someone to do for my family member so i can really appreciate that yeah that aspect so i've sat on one of your boards before and i don't know if we've been on a board together but i've sat I was the uh, board member, or I was being interviewed, and you were the board president. You have significantly helped change the way we do interviews or boards, as we call it in the military, for promotion. 
What benefits have you uh, seen come from that? So, yeah, this is kind of uh, a passion of mine, and my thoughts on it have evolved over time. And for for those that don't know, um, at the 122nd, any time that somebody is being uh, promoted to the rank of tech sergeant or above, Mm -hmm. uh, they're required to go through a boarding process or an interview process. And um, early in my career, I didn't understand why. I thought it was a vetting process, like, is this dude or dudette like up to snuff right and and you know but but that's not that's not the point of it Mm -hmm. the point of the boards is it's a touch point in somebody's career to provide mentorship so the whole goal of the board is to ask challenging questions because if you're going if you're a tech sergeant and you're looking to promote to master sergeant there's different expectations of a master sergeant right and um there may be questions at a strategic level that you've never even given consideration to. Right. Right. But you expect a master sergeant to start thinking about that. So it's an, it's a perfect opportunity at that moment in that member's career to ask some tough questions at the master sergeant level and challenge them. And then the most important part is giving them feedback, right? Yes. And I'm very aware of the feedback. Part. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you've experienced it. So uh, the hope then is that they're better for it. Right. You know, it's it's a it's a process in which we're developing airmen, and and I I like it. We've tried over the last few years to make it less cumbersome administratively, so right. it's not as much of a burden, but still reaching the end goal of of mentorship. You ask a question on your boards, and it re inspired me, and I appreciated it. But you ask a specific question, and you probably know where I'm going with this. I might. But you ask. Essentially, how do you feel about awards and decorations? Yeah. Why are you so passionate about that? So this goes back to, gosh, probably around 2010. Um, I was boarding for Master Sergeant, I think, at that time. And um, I was one of the first folks here at the 122nd to go through an enlisted promotion board. It was That was when we were just getting it going. And uh, so I'd never experienced it before. But I remember uh, one of our old chiefs, Chief uh, Steve Chandler, uh, was in uh, LRS back in the day. And he asked a question about my ribbon rack. Mm-hmm. And he said something to the effect of, you know, I, I don't see an Air Force commendation or a meritorious service medal on your ribbon rack. Uh, what do you think about that? And I remember clearly my response to that was, uh, I don't care. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not here to get awards. I've got like, probably at that time I had 14 or 15 ribbons on my rack and I couldn't have named, but maybe the basic training ribbon. Right. And the reason was, and I told him, I said, you know, I got these ribbons for deploying overseas. Mm -hmm. I, I volunteered to deploy. I went overseas. I did my job to the best of my ability. I came back and they handed me six ribbons. (laughs) So I don't see the significance of it. Right. And that was my response at that time. That's how I felt. Um, but in the feedback of that, what he shared with me was was really, um, it was eye-opening for me. He said, you know, everybody's different and that you may not care about recognition because you're just doing your job. Mm-hmm. Um, but other people do. Other people need that recognition to motivate them, to inspire them, to continue doing what they're doing. So everybody's different. And then he also shared that um, think about your ribbon rack, not for today, but think about 50 years from now. And you've got, there's a box in an attic Mm -hmm. somewhere that your grandkids have. And in that box, there's grandma or grandpa's old military stuff. There's a couple uniforms. There's, and then there's a bunch of binders with citations and a ribbon rack. And they get to open those binders 50 years down the road and read about the things that you did in your career. And to you, it feels like you're just doing your job. Right. But to them, that's, that's awesome. And man, was that eye-opening. I had never looked at it through that lens before. And so um, I've tried to share that story with as many people as I can. You've heard that story before. I I know that. Um, And a lot of people have heard that story. But I think it's it's a great perspective. And it's important for us. Like I I mentioned earlier, we have airmen that do great things every day. Right. I don't know how I got in this spot with (laughs) the airmen 
that are coming up today, right? Yeah, they're outstanding. Yes, they are. And they're so talented and they're doing so many great things that we have opportunities all the time to recognize them and we should. I agree. Going back being a DSG, how can you help convince or write an award that administrative time it takes versus just giving an attaboy or a shout out? Why would we take the time on a drill weekend to write an award or do we do both? I would do both. both. I mean, everybody likes an attaboy. Right. Um, that's usually, for me personally, that's more impactful than a than a ribbon. But uh, it, it does take a little bit of time mm-hmm. to write an award. Absolutely. Um, but it's one of those things that you have to see the value in it. Right. And if you see the value in it as a supervisor or as a commander or as a leader, um, you'll you'll prioritize it and you'll take the time to do that. And And we need to. Uh, for sure. And the difference between that site, that award citation and the attaboy is that the award citation is forever, right? Right. It, it's a visible product for as long as that, that thing still lasts. As so, your family yeah. can see versus I'm just as guilty not telling my family half the stuff that goes on out here that I just do my job. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. There's one specific award you're actually very passionate about. And you made sure it came back. And this award is not just a ribbon or a ribbon rack. It's something different. Can you go into that for us? I'd love to, yeah. So uh, what you're referring to is our Outstanding Airman of the Year Award. Yep. And uh, um, I've got a funny story to share with this that will kind of tell you why I I get excited about it. So um, every year we recognize uh, airmen, NCO, senior NCO, company grade officer, first sergeant of the year, all of these different categories. And of our thousand airmen at the base, we recognize, you know, just a handful of folks at the wing level as the top performer for the year. Right. That's a big deal, right? That's a huge deal. Even to get nominated at your group or at your squadron level is a big deal, but to win at the wing is a huge deal. So um, going back years ago, every year, the winner of that category would get this giant, <laughs> massive eagle, right? I remember. It was, yeah, it was this trophy that weighed like 200 pounds. Yep. And, uh, and you'd walk around the base and you'd pop into people's offices or work centers and you would see them on display. Mm-hmm. And like I, I said earlier, I'm not one for like personal recognition, but I always thought how cool is that right. to have an eagle on display? So um, fast forward to 2016, I was nominated for the Senior NCO of the Year Award, and uh, I won that year. Uh, I was excited. I walked up to receive my prize, my my trophy, my <laughs> my awesome eagle trophy from the wing commander, and he handed me a plaque. And I got plaques in third grade for participating in a in a right. you know basketball <laughs> league or something. So it it really um, I don't know. It was disappointing to me after seeing years of, of these huge Eagle trophies and to, to make it a hundred times worse when I got back to my office, uh, now senior master Sergeant Nate Keller had sent me a text cause he won the year before and he said, Oh, it looks like I got the last Eagle. Ha ha. Oh gosh. So just rubbing salt in the wound. Right? right. Um, so I did make it a goal when I became the command chief that, uh, that was something I was going to bring back. And, uh, so this year, this year we were able to do that. We uh, we handed out eagle trophies uh, this year, and that will be the plan moving forward. I promise. Nailed it. Yeah. Not even two months in the seat, and here we are <laughs> bringing the eagle back. How has this award coming back been able to open up conversations with airmen? I think in a couple different ways. Uh, one, just like bringing the eagle back and and. Recognizing our outstanding airmen um, opens up the conversation on just recognition in general, right? Um, that we already kind of discussed. But additionally, I think when if a young airman sees one of those big eagle trophies on somebody's desk and uh, maybe walks up and says, "Hey, what's that?" Yeah, you know, and and so it, it may be maybe something that can spark a conversation. And now they have somebody to aspire to follow, you know, and, like and just, yeah, seeing that I think maybe, maybe helps prompt some of that. Has your plaque to help open up conversation? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know where it's at right now. So in prepping for this interview, it was really fun. I got to learn about the chief rank. I got to learn a little bit more about you. 
and reached out to a few people to le- to do that as well. And with that, I was looking for the ripple effect that you've had since taking the seat. And bringing back the eagle was hands down what they all said. But there's another one that, um, to quote one of the chiefs here, information flow has increased dramatically. And so we know what the hell is going on. And I just felt like that was, um, there was a little bit in that quote that that's a huge deal. Do you feel like there's not lack of information, but you get to be the hub and you actually get to disseminate information. You go and ask the questions on our behalf, right? And then you get to tell us what the hell is going on. Yeah. Uh, and I'll tell you, that's it's awesome to hear positive feedback like yeah. that um, because uh, it's something, believe it or not, probably the most frequently discussed topic in the command staff between myself and Colonel Wagner and the executive officer is communication. Mm -hmm. And there is so much information out there, whether it's traveling up or down through the chain of command, so much information, information. So trying to figure out the, the proper means, platform, volume, frequency of information, uh, it's hard. (laughs) It really is. And, and it consumes a lot of our time uh, thinking about that. And we're still not doing it as efficiently or effectively as we can, but it's definitely a goal. And, uh, you know, we've tried, we've tried to, uh, obviously, we're still doing the drill videos. That's mm-hmm. a carryover from the last command team. Um, and, I, and I hope that those are hitting home and they're effective. But then, you know, introducing this podcast, um, I would have never, uh, in fact, you, you, you and I talked about this. We did, yeah. Um, I'm not a podcast guy. <laughs> So when Colonel Wagner hit me up with this and said, you know, Chief, I think uh, I want you to get a podcast going, I kind of laughed and I said, I don't want to do a podcast because <laughs> uh, I didn't necessarily see the value in it. Right. Um, but the more I started like dipping into that world myself and listening to some podcasts, I see the value in it. And I know that a lot of folks listen to them. So, um, you know, if this is another avenue that we can reach out to to our airmen or to the community even. Um, I'm all for it. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, we, we spend a lot of time on trying to improve our strategic communication. That's refreshing to hear. I mean, as a DSG, meeting people where they're at, I think that's huge. And as a, as a key leader of the base and a voice for the enlisted force, um, getting consistent information in each platform I think that's huge. I mean, I appreciate that. So as a chief, uh, I feel like you're on several several teams. And let me know if I miss any, but chief's council and your organization, maybe you dip into the top three. And then there's a unique team that you're on as well, and it's called the triad. Can you go into that and how that works for you in the triad and what that means? Yeah. So the, the triad of leadership, um, it, it's it's the commander the chief and the first sergeant and each person plays a different role on that leadership team um, and provides different perspectives. But the whole idea is that you've got different perspectives, different uh, lines of thinking um, so that collectively you can make a smart decision for the organization, whether that's at a squadron, a group or a wing level. Um, And all three parties in that are very important and we all bring different things to it. I like that the, um, each part of that triangle, that it's a straight line, the information flows, but each tip of that triangle is really that unique perspective um, that in, when you have a healthy triad, I feel like you have a healthy organization, or at least that's my, been my experience. I don't know for you, but. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think, you know, for every organization uh, to look at that leadership team for guidance and for true leadership. Right. Um, it's good to have harmony there, right? Right. And not... I feel like the people know when mom and dad are fighting, right? <laughs> yeah, I... For sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah, ab- that's absolutely true. But when you see um, when you see three individuals working together towards a common goal, mm-hmm. which ultimately is to make the best organization possible, um, and you know that their their hearts are in the right place, right? They're working together and having healthy uh, disagreements. Yes. Because there's trust. Right. Um, like that's good for a team. And that's what you want leading a team. Yeah. So another initiative that you are passionate about 
is a, a huge personal investment in our senior NCOs and our top three, as we call it, um, really advertising those personal development opportunities for them. Why has that become so, why is that so personal to you? I think because I've done, so especially during my time in the force support squadron, I had the opportunity to talk to a lot of folks that were, were leaving the unit, uh, whether they were transferring to another base or uh, maybe getting out of the military altogether. And, you know, a somewhat common theme among those folks was frustration over not having opportunities to advance or opportunities to do things that they really wanted to do, things that they're passionate about, right? Right. And so it hits home with me because there's a ton of opportunities out there. There really are uh, for professional development, opportunities to go on uh, special duty assignments and tours like at the Guard Bureau or out at Buckley at uh, ARPC. Right. There's opportunities. There are endless opportunities for people to pursue advancement. Um, so I think it's incredibly important for us to get that information out and, and make people aware of mm-hmm. the opportunities, whether people choose to take that uh, opportunity or not is on them. Right. You know, but, uh, but we owe it to our folks to make them aware of every opportunity that's out there. And, um, you know, but those opportunities, if you pursue them do come at a cost, right? Mm-hmm. If you want to better yourself, there's always a cost to it. And you, you know that. Yeah. If as you're well saying yes to something, you're saying no to something else, even if, even if it's not intentionally saying no, it's still saying no. Absolutely. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the, uh, to me, the most important thing is making people aware of what's right. out there. And and then they can choose whether to pursue it or not. How do you like to uh, make people aware, give them that information? Is it email? Is it? <laughs> yeah. So that's the hard part. Right. You know, uh, so mostly it's through email. Okay. But we, we've had some discussions recently uh, with with leaders in, in the wing about, you know, uh, again, different formats, different okay. platforms to maybe get the information. Um, we tried, you remember when we tried using SharePoint Yes. for a lot of stuff and that was going to be the one-stop shop for all the information at the right. 122nd fighter wing and it didn't work yeah. because we would put like, we would post job vacancies on SharePoint and then people would complain because, well, I didn't know the job was open. Well, it was on SharePoint. Well, I'd rather you email it to me. And so then we start emailing to people and then people get too many emails and right. they're frustrated by that. So it's it's a constant struggle to, to try to find the right means and format. So um, that's an ongoing battle. We're going to keep uh, fighting with it and we're going to we're going to try to come up with a better way to do it. If anyone has any good ideas, feel free to reach out. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> there are Absolutely. smarter people out there than uh, than us right here. <laughs> Getting close to the closing up this interview, what would you say your proudest military moment is? So. Thinking back on my career, um, I, th- you know, the proudest moment because I, I I was focusing on really like what's the most significant thing that I feel like I did to contribute to the mission. Which our mission at the one twenty second is to put bombs on target, right? Right. Ultimately, we're flying jets and and we're we're defending the nation. So um, thinking in those terms, uh, we had a deployment. I'm trying to remember if it was 2014 and 15 or 2015 and 16, where we were, we, we deployed to Bagram air base, Afghanistan, and we were only there for about a month. And then we had to transition to Al Jaber air base in Kuwait and stand up a new base and take on a new mission set. Well, I was in transportation at the time. I was in charge of uh, the traffic management office and we had to move um, over the course of about two weeks on, I can't even tell you how many C-17 loads of stuff we moved, but it was over a million and a half pounds of equipment that we needed to get to the new base to set up set up operations and get flying and, and taking down bad guys again. Right. And a lot. Yeah. When, it was one of those things where you look at it and say, who's ever done this before? Right. You know? <laughs> And where do we start? And then to see over the course of a couple of weeks that we accomplished that and we got stuff where, where it needed to be. And so, yeah, that was a super proud moment where I knew I knew the impact that I had on the warfighter effort. And so that was huge to me. What moment did you learn the most from from that one? Or do you have another specific instance? Um, in terms of me learning from a moment, I 
I'll go a whole different direction from that. So um, I'll go back about three years ago, and there was an airman that was working in a squadron on base, and and she was struggling. She was having a hard time. Like things just, uh, it just really wasn't working out. Um, yeah. And she was probably going to be getting getting out at the end of her enlistment. And um, you know, she ended up transferring to my squadron at at that time. And um, I saw this airman go from really struggling and on the verge of getting out to all of a sudden grabbing onto projects and running with them and like truly excelling. Mm -hmm. And it it was an eye opener for me to, you know, really that the importance of getting people in the right job, right? The right person in the right place. Right. Right. And we talk about force management or I like to call it talent management. But we like have that. we have so many talented airmen um, that a lot of times folks um, will enlist into a job. Say they enlist into ammo because there's a bonus, right? Right. And so they come in on drill weekends and they're building bombs. And four years into that, they realize either I don't like building bombs or I suck at it, <laughs> right? Um, well, at the end of their six year enlistment, do they get out, or are they are they super talented in, in another area? And do they have attributes um, and qualities that we can leverage for success in another area? And we've done that. I can think, uh, you know, I gave one example, but there's numerous examples across the wing of stories like that. And um, so that's a big lesson for me of, you know, knowing your people, um, know what they're good at, know what they like, Mm -hmm. and try to get them into the right place. Because, like I said, 989 airmen. There are so many talented folks out here. We just got to get folks in the right positions where they can contribute the best in the best possible way to to the success of the 122nd. If anyone's been around you or Colonel Wagner, I'm sure they've heard, I'm confident, right people, right place at the right time. And that's what moves the needle. Exactly. So to close out this interview, the last two things I have for you is a rapid fire round. You ready? I'm ready. All right. I'm just going to go down the list. You just say what comes to mind first. Okay. So what's your favorite color? Green. Book. The Long Walk by Stephen King. Oh, nice. Favorite podcast? The Art of Manliness. Art of, not Black Snake Bites, not yet? That's not there yet. (laughs) We'll we'll keep working (laughs) on it. The Art of Manliness. Favorite thing to do on vacation? Sleep and read. Favorite TDY? Aviano Air Base, Italy. Very nice. Favorite team you were on? Favorite team was my junior year of basketball at Huntington North. Oh. What was the position? I was a point guard. Okay. Favorite family memory? Definitely spring break trips with the kids, uh, but one specifically was uh, the one time that we took them to Disney World. (laughs) Most influential person in your life that you keep in your life today? My wife, Darcy, she keeps me grounded and uh, uh, she's the boss at home. So I I need her around. Maybe we should be interviewing her. (laughs) Favorite actor? Kind of a strange one probably, but John Malkovich. He's weird. Great actor. (laughs) And favorite quote? So probably my favorite quote uh, is from my dad. Um, I heard him say it a lot, but life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you respond to those things. You know, so uh, ultimately, like we control a lot of what happens in our life, even though you sometimes don't think you do. Right. It's all about how you respond to the stuff. Sounds like a good quote from a dad. Yeah. From a good dad. Definitely. If you were to rewrite any AFI or reg in the Air Force, which one would you rewrite and why? Uh. Other people have probably heard me say this. I'd like to see all of the AFIs and regulations just blown up and destroyed and start over. Um, but that's the easy answer. If if I had to name one, I would say uh, our guidance on evaluations. So um, there's there's a new evaluation system right now, my eval 2.0 that's rolling out, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes. But you know, throughout my career, um, we've done evaluations all wrong. You know, evaluations are all about feedback to airmen, Mm -hmm. and that's important. 
Right. Like people need to have feedback. They need to know what they're doing good, what they're doing bad, what they can do better. Um, but we've always done it wrong. Right. Filling out an Air Force Form 910 for an airman is just a lot of fluff. And it doesn't provide the adequate feedback and mentorship that uh, that is the intent of that program. But I, I'm I'm somewhat confident that we're heading in the right direction. Um, I think I've got my uh, evaluation probably in the queue right now. So I'm going to experience my first go around with it, but I'm optimistic. Good luck. Thank you. Save it on a uh, Word document as well. Mine was deleted with the first rollout of my eval <laughs> like three times. My poor CSS team. That's good advice. So Command Chief Master Sergeant Kyle Hoopengardner, it's been an honor. We've had this time with you today, and it's been a pleasure to get to interview you. Is there any final chiefy words you would like to leave us with today? Yeah, so um, the honor's been mine, Leslie. I appreciate you having me on <laughs> Thank you. to do this. Um, you're great to work with, and, and I've enjoyed uh, uh, our time together out here at the 122nd, so this is cool to get to do this. Um, I guess in closing, um, just I want to reiterate the message that we alluded to um, when I gave the speech about the tattoos, right? Yeah. Because um, I, th I think it's important to remind folks of this, um, that there's only a very small percentage of the population that's even eligible to serve in the military. That's right. And even less of us that are inclined to do so. That's right. And yeah. so at the end of the day, less than 1% of our population ever serves in the military. So anybody who's serving currently in the military, um, and especially to my Black, Black Snake friends, um, what you do is unique and special. And don't ever forget, regardless of what your job is, whether you're pulling the trigger on a stick and dropping bombs or you're building those bombs or you're cooking meals or you're processing financial transactions or you're keeping our, our network uh, IT stuff alive, um, all of you, all of us play a role in ultimately defending the country. Yep. And um, we need to remember that. Because it is, it is an unbelievably special thing that we do. And I uh, just want to thank all of the Black Snakes for continuing to serve. Uh, we're heading into, you know, conversion right mm -hmm. now. And the base is going to get kind of flipped upside down for a couple years. It's going to be an interesting time. But I'm excited about it. Uh, I'm looking forward to, to what the future holds with the F-16s coming here and uh, us getting a new mission set. Yeah. It's going to be an exciting time full of opportunities. So... Uh, look forward to the coming years and uh, uh, go Black Snakes. I agree. Thanks, Chief Hoop. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.